Lord, don't you care? Lord, don't you care? Has anyone in here ever made a statement like that where they've just been going through things, they've just been dealing with things, and they've said, Lord, where are you? Don't you care? Well, if you know me at all, if you know anything about me, you know that one of my favorite hobbies is backpacking. Um, A lot of people I know can't stand going out into the woods. They can't stand leaving their warm bed. They can't stand leaving their their, their clean bathroom. They can't stand leaving um, their... uh, their refrigerator, and and they just look at me like I'm crazy. They're like, why in the world would you want to go out in the woods and just walk around? You're crazy. Why would you want to sleep on the ground? Why would you why would you want to walk through the middle of bear country? But I absolutely love it. I absolutely love to backpack. And um, every chance I get on get to strap my bag on, every chance I get to go out in the woods, I take advantage of it. And I just it's something that I almost have to do. Sometimes the trips are pretty grueling, and in my mind I'm thinking, I cannot wait to get out of these woods. I cannot wait to get back to the car. I can't wait to get to the trailhead. Um, Most of the time, after one of these trips, my body's a little bit out of commission. I've realized recently that I'm getting a little bit older. Um, I'm, I'm done for a couple days after I get back. But regardless of how hard a trip might be, I'm usually still smiling and I'm usually already planning my next trip as soon as I get into the car. In October, however, this past October, it was a little different story. My buddy Joel over here on the front row, my buddy Joel and I um, had been planning a particular trip for, for several months. And we were going to the Buffalo National Forest, a place that I backpacked and camped several times. But this was a new trail, a new experience, and, and I was I was totally excited. I was pumped up about going on this trip. A week before we were scheduled to leave, the weather started calling for rain. So I thought, you know, we've hiked in rain before. We've, we've done this before. We can, we can handle this. This isn't going to be that bad. It's, it's not really going to be an issue. But this is one of those things that we weren't completely prepared for. This is one of those things that we weren't ready to experience and um, we were wearing our rain suits. Our backpacks had the rain covers on them. We thought we were prepared. We thought we had everything we needed for this trip. But it didn't matter. The rain never stopped. I think there was about two and a half minutes during this trip where the rain stopped. And that was just to tease us a little bit. But the rain never stopped this entire trip. We didn't get a break. It became very, very frustrating. It became somewhat demoralizing. What would normally be a very moderate trail turned into a struggle to even, even complete. We later realized there were precautions that we could have taken, that we normally would have taken, but we didn't. I say that to say this. Sometimes, something you love becomes something you take for granted. You become so familiar with it that you, you fail to truly give it the honor it deserves. Being familiar with something should cause us to love it more, but all too often we tend to become negative and complain. Based on the circumstances surrounding my camping trip, they were nowhere near to ideal. But based on those things, my behavior and attitude, the the behavior and attitude I I took on, the behavior and attitude I allowed to, to, um, to have, you'd never know that I loved camping. You'd never know that it was something I cherished. You'd never know that it was something that I look forward to. 
my attitude gave you a, a completely different story. How often do we have the uh, uh, how often do we have the opportunity to experience something we love, but the circumstances around it cause us to complain instead of celebrate? The circumstances could be our own issues. Maybe we have issues with our health. Maybe we have issues with our finances. Maybe we have a job that we cannot stand, but we're stuck there. Or the circumstances could be someone else's issues. We could have those coworkers. You guys know those coworkers I'm talking about. Those coworkers that aren't always the most pleasant to be around. Um, some people don't like the government. Some people uh, read something on social media and they just completely go berserk. Regardless of the circumstances, um, sometimes we get to a point where we begin to complain about things. After the days following my trip, I had to sit back and evaluate my attitude. And in doing that, I realized something I struggle with and have struggled with for some time. And that something is complaining. At first, I dismissed this and said, what are you talking about? I'm not a complainer. I'm the last person in the world that complains about anything. But as I thought about it, the Holy Spirit began revealing to me how I've, how I've complained and become bitter about some things, various situations that have happened over the last few years. As often as I encouraged someone, I was also complaining about things that were happening. Yes, I repented. Yes, I asked for forgiveness. Yes, I was forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. I was forgiven for my attitude, for the way I thought about things, for the way I handled things, for the way I complained about things. But I can't help but to wonder, had I done things a little differently, what the outcome would have been. In a few years, excuse me, in a few days, our year comes to a close. This decade comes to a close. And I want to choose in 2020 to speak life, to speak encouragement, to speak truth over situations instead of immediately complaining if something doesn't go my way. I want to begin 2020 and the 2020s focusing on things above and finding solutions to problems instead of making problems worse. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 10, 38 through 42. A short story, a pretty uh, well-known story in the Bible, but it's something that I've, I've thought a lot about in the past couple months. Luke 10, 38, 42, New King James Version. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him, him being Jesus, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Therefore, tell her to come and help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, are you worried and troubled about many things? But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? While I do all the work? Why is she sitting there? Why am I doing all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Tell her to get over here right now. Tell her to do something. So let's recap. Jesus shows up 
after recently sharing what it means to be a disciple, talking to his disciples, telling them how he wants them to go out, how he wants them to minister. And this woman, Martha, who's, who possibly already has a relationship with him, possibly already knows him, has invited him into her house. She says, come on in. I have a meal that I want to prepare for you. Come to my house. Even if Martha didn't know Jesus very well, she'd probably heard about him. Maybe she'd heard um, his teaching. Maybe she'd sat and listened to him before. Maybe she'd heard that he simply speaks a word and the storms stop. That he simply speaks a word and demons flee. That he's, he's fed thousands and thousands of people with a meal from Long John Silver's. Maybe she's heard these things. Maybe she's seen some of these miracles with her own eyes. Martha was going to get in the kitchen. She was going to cook up some of the best southern cooking you've ever had. She was going to roll out the biscuits. She was going to fry up the chicken. She was going to get the pan out and and prepare that pie. She was going to mash the taters. It was going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome time. As she's doing this and pots and pans are strung around the kitchen, she looks around and she thinks, wow, something's missing right now. She walks looks into the other room, looks into the living room, and she's like, what in the world? Why isn't she in here with me? Why isn't she in here helping me out? She turned around, peeked into the living room, and saw her sister Mary, the one who was supposed to be in the kitchen, the one who was supposed to be helping her with the dishes, the one that was supposed to be helping her cook. Mary was in there just sitting on the floor next to Jesus. She's listening to Jesus tell stories. What is she doing? This is the point in the story in which Martha could choose to do one of two things. One, she could have chosen to say, I too have the opportunity to sit down next to my sister and take in everything that Jesus is sharing right now. Yeah, the pot's boiling over. Yeah, there's stuff baking in the oven. But what Jesus has to say, what he has to give is more valuable than anything I have to offer right now. What Jesus has to say, what he has to give, is more valuable. It's worth more than anything I'm doing, anything I could be doing. But instead, she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to get in here and help me. Instead of taking advantage of listening to the words of Jesus, she chose to place her agenda first. She she chose to complain. The King James says, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Don't you care, Lord? Don't you care? And this is where it started to get in my feels a little bit. This started to sound like me. How many times have I said, come on, God? I've worked my tail off. I've spent years doing this thing called ministry. I've done everything I could to serve you. Where are you at? Why are you letting things happen this way? Why am I being let go from a church before Christmas? Why am I told that I don't belong in this kind of church? Why am I being told that I shouldn't even be a youth pastor anymore. Why am I stuck in this ministry that I don't want to be in? 
Why is it raining? We've spent months planning for this trip. Why is it raining? You know how bad I wanted this trip, God? How often in our lives is the big picture overlooked because our need right now is the most important thing there is. At those points in my life, I didn't care about anything except my absolute worst moment. And sometimes in lives, we choose to make right now's worst moment our forever worst moment. I was consumed with what's going on right now. I was missing the big picture. Instead of seeing that God, what God was preparing for me, that he was preparing something greater. I just wanted to complain about what was happening right now. Laying in that tent was miserable. Trying to sleep with the water was miserable. It was cold. We were wet. We were soaked. It was miserable. I can't say that this was Martha's worst moment, but the fact that she had worked so hard to prepare this dinner, the fact that she had spent so much time on these preparations, it probably wasn't one of her best moments. But God had something greater. I just, I, instead of knowing that, instead of understanding that, instead of grabbing hold of that, I just wanted to complain about what was happening right now. As I was hiking through the Buffalo National Forest, I was missing out on the beauty that was around me. I was missing out on seeing things that were unique, seeing, seeing things that were beautiful. Because I was too busy focused on my soaked clothes, I was too busy t thinking about how my shoulders were aching. I was too busy thinking about my shin splints. Instead of celebrating what I loved to do, I began to complain. Martha was left with all the preparations without the help of Mary or a servant. And we all know that getting shafted like that is no fun at all. We know that that's, that's unfair and sometimes it's just so frustrating her patience was decreasing as the pressure was increasing, and she just went and complained to Jesus. She totally forgot that Jesus was her guest, thinking of herself. Um, she, 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 just, she just blew the number one rule of hospitality. She was so absorbed with her own agenda that she went and started complaining to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. She didn't realize what was most important in the world at that, at that moment. What was truly important is where her sister was. Mary, a woman, was sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from and listening to the teacher, to her rabbi. Sitting at his feet was a classic description of what a disciple does. Sit, soak in, listen, absorb, hear every single word, take those words and apply it to their lives. This is what Mary was doing. However, at that time, this is, this is what's really unique about this, and this is what Martha failed to, to reach out and grab hold of. Uh, women, along with Gentiles, along with Samaritans, weren't really permitted at this, this point in history to sit at the feet of a, a typical rabbi or Jewish rabbi. And so being able to sit there at the feet of Jesus, being able to sit at the, the feet of a teacher was something that, that Mary was just soaking in. Mary was just grabbing hold of, and Mary was just um, enjoying with everything she was. And I say this, in times of frustration, in times of anger, in times of complaining, there is no safer place for us to be than at the feet of Jesus. On those days that we just feel like giving up, on those days that we just don't want to move forward, on those days that we just can't think of anything nice to say, I encourage you, church, go to the feet of Jesus, kneel at the feet of Jesus, bask in the presence of Jesus.
had I been able to look past the rain to focus on what was around me, things could have gone completely differently. I could have been engaging my buddy. I could have been talking to my buddy. But instead, we, we walked for miles and miles and miles without ever saying a word. I could have noticed the unique beauty in the forest that I wouldn't have seen if it wasn't raining. I could have seen some of those ministries I'd served in the past. I could have seen that be, me being let go from a church two weeks before Christmas was actually part of God's plan. I could have seen that this plan would never have enabled me to have seen the other places I've seen. If I was in any of those places right now, I would not be standing in front of you, working in an amazing church, serving in an amazing pastor, and getting to know such amazing people. But God sees things that we don't always see. Even in the midst of my complaining, even in the midst of my grumbling and my murmuring and my, my disputing, God still knew that there was something bigger and better and greater for me. Martha failed to see what she was missing out on. Had she been more focused on Jesus than her tasks she would have been part of something revolutionary. Mary was soaking up everything that Jesus had to say. The words hearing or listening here in the Greek essentially mean that she was absorbing everything that Jesus had to give. Martha could have been in that same place, absorbing, soaking up everything Jesus had. But instead, she wanted to step back. She wanted to point fingers and she wanted to complain. Jesus wanted Martha to see that nothing, even genuine good works, should distract her from from wholehearted devotion to him. Where in the old covenant, it focuses on external practices of devotion. Jesus is showing her that devotion is a matter of heart. When complaining starts, our hearts end up in the wrong place. Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says this, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Today, I just want to uh, briefly, for the next few minutes, just touch really quickly on one thought, and that's complaining corrupts character. Character is what we are. It's the essence of who we are in Christ. It, it's seen in our integrity, in our attitude, in our moral fiber, in our disposition. It shapes how we treat the people around us. It shapes what other people see in us. It, it's what we do when no one's watching. It's what our teachers try to teach us in grade school. It's, it's the foundation of how we live our life. It's foundational to what we do, to how we live. But when we allow complaining, a complaining attitude to begin to breed, our character begins to be corrupted. Our character begins to be shifted. Our character begins to change. And, and I just want to uh, touch on this for just a second. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Without complaining or arguing. Without murmurings or disputings. The word without here suggests isolation. So Paul is basically telling us that if we're going to be disciples of Christ, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to be isolated or separated from murmurings, complainings, from disputes, from those kind of things. Murmuring is something that, that will rise up in our soul when we're discontented or frustrated about our circumstances and we, we, we can't handle it the right way. We can't handle it properly. And, and I'm not talking about 
my French fries were, were cold and my, my milkshake was a little bit too lumpy. I'm not talking about those kind of things. I'm talking about when something doesn't go your way and you can't get past it. You can't stop thinking about it. And you begin expressing what at first is only annoyance and dissatisfaction, but quickly becomes bitterness and anger. Yesterday, while driving, we're coming home from, from um, Christmas in Kansas City, and, and I just start going off on a rant. And keep in mind, I've been thinking about this, this complaining thing. I've been thinking about this stuff, going over this stuff in my mind, and, and I just start going off on this rant. And I'm just sitting there rah, 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 saying all this stuff. And Mandy looks at me, and she says, can you be grateful? And I sat back, and then she said this. Your daughter is sitting in the seat right behind you. I was running my mouth off about some stuff that was getting on my nerves. And Mandy said, can you be grateful? Your daughter is hearing everything you're saying. (laughs) What a gut check. What a gut check. My role as a follower of Christ and a father is to be an example that my kids are going to follow. And follow me, they're going to. But what are they going to follow? If I produce good fruit, if if I'm reading my Bible, if I'm studying, if I'm praying, if I'm talking about Jesus, if I'm speaking life, if I'm worshiping, if I'm encouraging, are they going to be doing that? Because they'll emulate that if they see me doing that. If they see me doing that regularly, if they see that me doing that genuinely and honestly, that's what they're going to do. But if they see me doing that from a platform, but in the car, complaining and ranting and raving, maybe they'll think dad's a fake. My role as a follower of Christ is to be an example to my children. If I'm complaining and being bitter, unfortunately, they're going to imitate that too. Bryland should see that my, my character is so deeply rooted in Christ that nothing will sway me from imitating him. That nothing will sway me from wanting to be like Jesus. That nothing will sway me from doing everything I can to show everyone I can who and what Jesus Christ is. And that's what our, our, our call in 2020 should be. That everything we do, how we act, how we live, how we talk, how we speak, how we think should be to represent Jesus Christ. I don't ever want to fool myself into thinking um, I'm doing everything I can for Christ, but I'm, in reality, I'm not. I don't want to, to think that I'm, I'm living out a life representing Jesus, but I'm simply being a pretender of the faith, giving a good show, but not actually having any substance. These are the things that damage the reputation of Christ. I never want anyone to look at me and think I'm fake. When the things I complain about begin to take root and marinate in my heart, then I've committed sin. Marinating is is when you take something, you you put it in with other flavors, and it begins to take on the the flavors that it's exposed to. It begins to absorb the things around it. When I begin to think about all that they did wrong, I'm looking at all these people, these churches, these people that have hurt me, these people that I have a right to complain about. When I begin to look at them, I'm like, they did it to me. They hurt me. What they did to me, they should have never, ever, ever done. All those flavors begin to marinate. They begin to soak in. And pretty soon, I've allowed bitterness to have control. 
Hebrews 12, 15 says this. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says, Stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Don't yell at one another or curse each other or ever be rude. Instead, be kind and merciful and forgive others, just as God forgave you because of Christ. Allowing these things that stem from complaining into my heart can corrupt the people around me. A bitter root is an attitude of deep-seated resentment in a heart that will, will continue to grow and have consequences for the people around me. I don't want to be a guy that people come around and they start getting bad attitudes and in bad moods and start getting tense because of the way I talk or the way I act. I want people to walk around me and to be encouraged and to, to, to be able to, to stand up and know that, that they've been giving something, given something from Jesus Christ, that they've been around a man who, who exhibits the characteristics of Christ, that they've been around a man who exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. I want people to be around me and to be able to act more like Jesus when they walk away from me. Amen, church? Is that good? Can we do that? Can we, can we start walking in that? And I'm not saying you guys complain. I'm talking about myself up here. None of, I know that no one in this church complains. That's the church down the road that I'm talking about. But, but if you ever do struggle with that, even just a little bit, I encourage you to, to, to say, you know what? I don't want people to walk away from me in a bad mood. I want people to walk away and say, that dude knows Jesus Christ really, really well. Have you ever been around someone that can't stop complaining and the next thing you know you're complaining too? It's, it's contagious sometimes. Walmart. Walmart's the best place for this. You're standing in line. You're thinking, why in the world? There's 37,000 people in this building right now, but there's only two registers open. And the, the self-checkouts don't ever work. So, so here I am. I'm standing. I'm number 37 in a line. And the guy in front of me says, man, if these people would ever get their act together and get some registers opened up, we could get out of here. Next thing you know, you're agreeing with them. You're saying, yeah, if they would just get the lines open, we'd be out of here. You start complaining. It doesn't take a whole lot to get sucked in. And I'm not sure that um, a lot of people know this, but if you don't know this, this is just an extra this morning. I want to tell you that it is completely possible to get on social media and not respond to something you disagree with. Okay, church, I promise you that. I promise you, you can hit the button and move on. You can move away. You don't have to say anything. Isn't that an awesome concept? If all people ever do is complain and then call themselves Christians, people are going to look at them and say, I don't want any of that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a Christian if that's all they do. My buddy Joel, my body hurts so bad. Uh, the, the, the rain had caused the, the, the structural, the mechanical integrity of my straps to quit working. And so I'm walking. We're, we're about uh, nine, eight, nine miles into this, this trip, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. My shoulder was killing me. I'd already injured it in the, the gym about a week earlier, and my shoulder was just like, oh, my goodness, this is ridiculous. What is wrong with me? I couldn't figure out how to fix my bag. And we finally get to a place where we're stopping. I take my bag off. I start to take my boots off. I'm just like, done. I just want to sit there. I don't want to talk. I don't want to look at anyone. I just want to sit there. And Joel says, hey, Let's walk over here. 
And when he said that, man, I love this dude, but in my mind I was like, I hate you right now, dude. I can't stand you. Can we just find a place to sit? Can we just pitch our tents? Do we have to keep moving? My body hurt so bad. I had allowed my circumstances to dictate my response. I had allowed what was going on around me to begin complaining about what he was doing. I allowed the pressure of these straps on my shoulders to make me freak out. I had one of two choices, just like Martha. I could choose to freak out or I could choose to find a solution. Unfortunately, I chose to freak out. The children of Israel did nothing but complain and criticize. It had become contagious. Their complaining, their murmuring was the exact opposite of what God was wanting them to develop into. And here's what's crazy. If you go back to Exodus and you look through chapters 14, 15, and 16, 13 even, um, you see that they had just went through this awesome experience. They had, God had said, it's time to commemorate this day. It's time to remember this day. You are free. You are out of slavery. You don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. You are free. And then he said, move on out of Egypt. Go do what you have to do. And so the people started moving out. And, and they'd been given so much But they weren't seeing it. The Israelites had just celebrated the the Lord bringing them out of slavery when the disputing and the murmuring began. Their focus turned from God to circumstances around them. Their complaining distorted their perceptions. They saw the Egyptian army and forgot who God was. They looked at uh, Moses and they sarcastically said, Moses! What in the world? There's an army behind us. Don't you see it? Did you bring us out of Egypt just so we could die here? Are there not enough graves where we used to live? Do you have to bring us here to die in the middle of, middle of nowhere? Exodus 15. The water was bitter. They got upset. They got mad again. And they said, what in the world, Moses? What are we going to drink? Exodus 16. We are hungry. If we were still in Egypt, there'd be plenty to eat right now. But I don't see any food on the table. These people had witnessed God's power. They'd seen the plagues. They were currently traveling with a pillar of fire and a pillar of of cloud. How can you not know that God is with you if you see those things every single day? They knew what God was. They viewed themselves as God's people, his children. But in spite of all God had done for them, they were quick to forget his miracles and to lose faith in his goodness, his wisdom, his promises, and his plans for their lives. They created an atmosphere of complaining, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, until in in numbers... The Holy Spirit had to expose them or what they were, had to expose their murmuring, had to expose their grumbling and their complaining for what it was, speaking against God. God dropped the hammer because they would not trust God and commit their lives and future, which brought God's anger and judgment on their lives. They had everything. They had it all. They had seen God's power. They had experienced God's power. I don't know how you can see those things and walk away from God, but I know every day people do that. Every day, people experience the power of God. Every day, people see the power of God, but they walk away. We must never, ever stop being grateful for Christ's sacrificial death 
for our deliverance and for God's grace, for guidance and blessing in our lives. We're going to mess up. There are going to be times that we mess up. We're going to miss the target sometime. It's how we react and respond to those moments that matter. Really quickly, I want to give you just a couple things. As Christians, we're called to do a couple things. And in 2020, I encourage you to, to overcome. If you have ever struggled with complaining, I encourage you to overcome that attitude by doing these four simple things. One, be thankful. My wife said, can you be grateful? Can you think about everything you have? Can you, can you think about your friends, your family, your kids, the things that you've been given, the things that you've been honored to, to have in your life? Can you simply be grateful? Be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. Not, what, not just when things are going great, but in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There is so much in our lives to be thankful for. There's so much that we shouldn't have time to complain. Our, our, we should be focused on Jesus. We should be focused on what he's doing and what he's done and what he's going to do. If nothing else, your salvation is something to be thankful for. If nothing else, you've got that. Number two, rejoice in all things. Philippians 4, 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious for, uh, for anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. If Paul can be writing this kind of stuff from prison then I think we can all find something else to be a little more rejoicing about. I think we can find some stuff to quit complaining about. I think we can find some stuff to, to say, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I am so excited that you've done this for me and in me and through me. Regardless of what you're dealing with, turn every situation over to God. Number three, retrain your thought life. Philippians 4.8 says this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Fix your minds on these things. Fix your minds on things that are true, that are noble, that are right, that are pure, that are lo lovely, that are admirable, things that are excellent, things that are praiseworthy. Focus on those things. Meditate on those things. Keep your, keep your focus on these things. Fix your mind on these things. Whatever occupies a person's thinking is eventually going to come out in their words or their actions. Those who complain will contaminate the people around them. If you're focused on those kind of things, people aren't going to want to be around you. But if you're focused on things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if you're focusing on those things, then the peace of God's going to be with you. Separate yourself. Isolate yourself from those around you that are constantly complaining or trying to bring you down. And that leads us to number four. Separate yourself from what's bringing you down. If you got someone in your life that can't ever say anything nice, if you got someone in your life that can't ever um, speak positively, if you have someone in your life that is just always ranting, always complaining, then friends, it might be time to move away from that person. If someone's bringing you down, you might want to find someone new to hang out with. I'm not telling you to stop loving them. I'm not telling you to stop... Um, reaching out to them or, or, or speaking life into them or telling them about Jesus. 
But if that's who you spend most of your time with, then that's who you're going to be. Separate yourself from what's bringing you down. Thankfully, Jesus was understanding of, of Martha's situation and explained to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which is not going to be taken away from her. Although practical service is good, although it's necessary, our first and foremost important priority is to love and to show devotion to Jesus. And usually that's expressed simply by spending time with him, by worshiping, by listening, and by learning from his word. If our hearts are filled with these things, we're not going to have time to complain. I'm ready to start preparing for my next backpacking trip. Instead of being frustrated, I'll use that as a teaching moment and change some things around us.